Suffering is never for nothing. I get that from our passage today and from a book by Elizabeth Elliot. Many of you know her story. Her husband, Jim Elliot, in 1956, along with several of his missionary friends, was killed in the jungles of Ecuador by members of an Indian tribe. Here's a sample from her new book titled, Suffering is Never for Nothing. She says, When I stood by my shortwave radio in the jungle of Ecuador in 1956 and heard that my husband, Jim Elliott, was missing, God brought to mind the words of the prophet Isaiah. When thou passest through the waters, I will be with thee. Isaiah 43, 2. You can imagine that my response was not terribly spiritual. I was saying, but Lord, you're with me all the time. What I want is Jim. I want my husband. We had been married 27 months after waiting five and a half years. Five days later, I knew that Jim was dead, and God's presence with me was not Jim's presence. That was a terrible fact. God's presence didn't change the terrible fact that I was a widow, and I expected to be a widow until I died because I thought it was a miracle I got married the first time. I couldn't imagine that I would ever get married a second time, let alone a third. God's presence didn't change the fact of my widowhood. Jim's absence thrust me, forced me, hurried me to God, my hope and my only refuge. And I learned in that experience who God is in a way I could never have known otherwise. And so I can say to you that suffering is an irreplaceable medium through which I learned an indispensable truth. God is God. Well, I still want to go back and say, but Lord, what about that little child with spina bifida? What about those babies born terribly handicapped with terrible suffering because their mothers were on cocaine or heroin or alcohol? What about my little Scotty dog, Macduff, who died of cancer at the age of six? What about the Lindbergh baby baby and the Stams who were beheaded? What about all of that? And I can't answer your questions or even my own except in the words of Scripture. And God has a lot up his sleeve that you and I haven't the slightest idea about now. He told us enough so we can know that suffering is never for nothing. And so Elizabeth Elliot is right. We can't answer all of the questions that we have about suffering and the effects of sin on our world. We do have some answers as she said, and we can find them in God's word, but God's word doesn't answer every question for us, does it? As Elizabeth Elliot said, God has a lot up his sleeve that you and I don't have the slightest idea about right now. But he has told us enough in his word. And one thing that we can know from God's word, and we'll see it in our passage today, is this, suffering is never for nothing. As Christians, we live by faith not by sight. We live by God's promises, not by his explanations. Our hope as we suffer does not lie in figuring everything out. Our hope does not lie in getting all of our questions answered. Our hope does not lie in explanations from God. Listen, answers will not comfort you. Explanations as to why you are suffering will not comfort you. 
getting it all figured out will not comfort you. Only Jesus comforts you. And when you're having pity parties and screaming like a little baby at the top of your lungs, and who doesn't do that from time to time? Who doesn't get spiritually colicky? And you just cry and you fuss. Who hasn't been there when God says to us, you need to eat your vegetables because broccoli is good for you. And spiritually, we're like, I just want spiritual donuts and spiritual Fruit Loops. And God says, you need spiritual broccoli right now. And we throw these temper tantrums because we don't understand. Like little kids don't understand. They need to eat their vegetables. They cannot live off of donuts. And we cannot just live off of an easy life. So when you're having pity parties because of everything that's happening in your life and you're screaming at the top of your lungs like a little colicky baby because of what is going on in your life, answers and explanations as to why all of those things are happening will not comfort you. Only Jesus can. Only Jesus can calm your little heart when it's breaking and confused and frustrated by what's happening in your life. We don't know and we cannot know all that God is doing in our lives at any given moment. We cannot know everything that God is doing right now in our cultural climate with everything that's happening right now. We need to be praying and we need to be repenting of the sin in our own hearts. And we don't know all that he purposes through what we suffer, but we do know this. God is good. And what we experience will never be wasted. God is good and what we suffer is never for nothing. And so God can and does and will bring good out of it. No suffering that you experience in this world will ever be wasted. God always has something up his sleeve for us. He has secret treasures of goodness stored up for us that we are not aware of, that are hidden away, ready to use on our behalf. Treasures that you and I know nothing about and have never imagined. And Jesus is so committed to us that he will surprise us with them when we desperately need them. He always has good stored up for us. And he has something good stored up for us in 2 Corinthians. So turn there in your Bibles to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verse 6 today. Hear the word of the Lord. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. If we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So we have seen over the last few weeks that the word used by Paul here for comfort means to come alongside someone and to encourage them and to strengthen them and to refresh them spiritually. So we've seen that Jesus is the God of all comfort, the God of all come alongside you and refresh you when you're suffering. The God of all I'm with you, right beside you, holding your hand with my arm around you as you suffer. He is not like a drill sergeant. God does not come alongside us and scream in our ears. 
Listen, the very last image that you need to have of God when you are suffering is an image of him screaming in your ear, telling you, you better get your act together, and why can't you just believe my promises? You don't need that image of him, or an image of him being upset with you, or being disgusted by you. God never, ever feels that way about you, Christian, especially when you are suffering. Christian, when you suffer, you are not a disappointment to God. However you respond to your sufferings, you are not a disappointment to God. You do not make him throw his hands up in the air and say, that's it, I've had it with this guy. You are not being punished by God when you suffer. And you have not been abandoned by him. All of the trials that we endure are not for our punishment, but for our purification in order to make us more like Jesus because we still have sin in our hearts, don't we? Christian, Jesus took all of the punishment for your sin on the cross. So you were judged at the cross when Jesus died. God will never ever punish you again for your sin, Christian. He may discipline you, but he will never punish you because you were judged when Jesus died in your place. The cross was your judgment day. The cross is when God dealt with your sin, Christian. You were judged on the cross with Jesus when he died in your place. So the cross was your judgment day. So get that silly unbiblical notion out of your mind that God is punishing you when you suffer. Because when you suffer, God is not punishing you. If you're in union with Christ, God dealt with all of your sins at the cross. Jesus offered up himself once for all, for all of your sins. And when Jesus was condemned on the cross, you were condemned with him. When he died, you died. When God raised him from the dead, God raised you up with him. God judged your sins at the cross, Christian. That day was your judgment day. And so as John says in his first epistle, he says, we can have confidence when he comes again. When he appears, we don't have to be afraid. And John also says we can have confidence on the day of judgment. Can you imagine standing before a holy God, infinitely glorious in his white hot presence, and have confidence? John says you can if you're in union with Christ because you've been credited with the righteousness that you need to stand there. If you don't believe me, go look it up. 1 John 2, 1 John 4. We don't have to be afraid of his appearing. We can have confidence before him in the day of judgment. Let that just percolate in your hearts this week. When you believed, Christian, and you were justified by faith in Jesus, that was God's final judgment on your sin. He's not bringing your sins up ever again. Justification is God's final judgment on your sin. And that happens because you have been crucified with Christ and because you are in union with him. And so when you suffer, like the Corinthians were suffering and like Paul was suffering, God is not punishing you. 
That's what the super apostles were saying about Paul. He must not be a true apostle because he suffers all the time. God must be punishing him. No, God does not punish us. He punished Jesus for us on the cross. But God is doing things in your life when you suffer. In 2 Corinthians 1.6, we're going to revisit one of the purposes for our suffering, which we've talked about over the past few weeks. And it's this, to bring comfort to other people who are suffering, to bring comfort to other sufferers. We saw this back in verse 4, so look there, rewind just a little bit to verse 4. Paul will pick up on that same idea in our verses today. But there's that purpose clause that we saw in the middle of verse 4. So that, God comforts us, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we are comforted by God. So one reason that we are on the receiving end of God's comfort when we suffer is so that we will be able to pass on that same comfort to other people when they suffer. So the purpose clause there, so that, stresses the corporate aspect of suffering and the corporate aspect of comfort. We suffer affliction and we experience God's comfort so that we can then go minister to others the same comfort that we have received. But notice too in verse 4 there, the words all and any who comforts us in all our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction. These are important words. Paul is saying that God comforts us in all of our affliction so that we can minister to other people who are going through any kind of affliction. So that Paul, in the middle of all the troubles and all the afflictions that he was encountering and that we actually encounter, we are then able to go and comfort others who are in any type of affliction. But that does not mean that you have to go through the same kind of identical affliction and suffering in order to be able to minister to someone. Take Elizabeth Elliot, for example, who mentioned that her dog Macduff died of cancer. Paul is not saying that the only kind of people who can minister to Elizabeth Elliot are people who have also had dogs die of cancer. The afflictions vary, but the comfort remains the same because the comfort ultimately comes from the God of all comforts. So we can minister just as effectively as anyone because the same comfort and the same strengthening comes from the same source, God himself. We don't have to go through the same thing as someone else in order to effectively minister to them. It reminds me of this commercial for this new show on Netflix I saw. The show is called Dead to Me, uh, starring Christina Applegate. And in the, I haven't seen the show, but I saw the, the uh, commercial for it several times. And there's this very interesting scene that happens. Christina Applegate's character, Jen, is dealing with the loss of her husband who was killed in a hit-and-run car accident. And so one day, a neighbor named Karen brings over some food, and this is the conversation. Karen says, Jeff and I are here for you if you ever want to talk. And Jen says, thanks. And then Karen says, I just can't imagine what you're going through. And Jen replies, well, it's like if Jeff, your husband, got hit by a car and died suddenly and violently like that. You want to use your imagination what it's like? Imagine your spouse dying. Fortunately, we don't have to go through exactly what someone else is going through in order to be able to minister to them. 
Paul says here, I go through all kinds of affliction, but I take the comfort that I've received and I pass it on to you, Corinthians, no matter what affliction you are undergoing. But let's be quick to see that it is not Paul, it is not us from whom the help and the comfort comes. The source of all comfort and the source of all strength is God. We are just middlemen. That's all that we are. Sorry to burst your bubble. You don't have to have a PhD in pastoral leadership to be able to comfort someone. You just need to know Jesus. You just need to know Jesus and connect people to him, to his word, and to his promises. I mean, isn't that great? God makes it so easy for us to minister his comfort to other people. He doesn't make it difficult for us to join him on mission. We don't have to be spiritual superheroes in order to be able to minister. We can all be involved in God's story. And I don't know about you, but that's such good news to people like me who just feel so inadequate. I think too many pastors and probably most disciples fall into the trap and begin thinking that they have to be superheroes as if they have to provide the comfort from within them as if they are the true source of comfort. Think about that. What a burden that places on us that we have to be the source of comfort. What a burden to carry around as if it was all riding on you to be able to comfort someone in their suffering. No wonder we are often slow to minister to others or to serve in some kind of ministry because we have believed the lie that we are the source of comfort. We have believed the lie that we have to be superheroes who have a PhD in pastoral ministry with an emphasis in biblical counseling in order to be qualified to minister to someone. No, God has made it easy for us. We're just meant to connect people to Jesus. Your kids can comfort you with God's word, right? We pass on what we have received from him. Harold Sinkbile gets at the heart of this when he says this, and he's writing his book to pastors, but I think it applies to everyone. He says this, and listen to his first sentence. Frankly, If you run into someone who claims to be an expert in ministry, you should run the other way. I don't pretend to have all the answers. We are not solo entrepreneurs in this business, and it's not a business. It is rather a ministry that finds its source and goal in the eternal mission of the Holy Trinity. A minister acts on behalf of another in a proxy capacity, bringing gifts that are not his own Pastors are agents of the Lord Jesus, stewards working with him to administer God's gifts. This is the secret for sustainable pastoral work. You need to realize that you've got nothing to give to others that you yourself did not receive. Jesus loves you first, and then you love him back by loving his sheep and lambs in his name instead. If pastoral ministry is anything at all, it's a ministry of love. It's being one more link in the unbroken chain of love that extends all the way back to Calvary one dark Friday outside the gates of Jerusalem. No matter how compassionate and empathetic a pastor is, there's just no way he can come up with what it takes to feed the sheep of Christ effectively much less tend to their spiritual heartaches, bruises, and injuries. 
He's going to run dry sooner or later and most likely sooner. I learned that the hard way. As a young pastor, I thought the best I could do for people was to give them my own love and compassion. That was, of course, wrong-headed, but I didn't know it back then. In those early years of ministry, I began to learn the lesson I'm still learning every day now, nearly 50 years later. The best we pastors have to give Christ's sheep and lambs does not come from within. It comes from him. We just take the comfort that we have received and we pass it on to others, whatever they are going through. We're just middlemen. We serve in a proxy capacity. The comfort doesn't come from within us. It comes from Him, from the God of all comforts. That means we don't have to be the disciple of all comforts. Isn't that good news? All we have to do is know Jesus. All we have to do is pick up his word and read it and talk to him and then take the comfort that he gives us and pass it on to others. Little kids, little children, you can do this. You can know Jesus and comfort others. And it may just be holding someone's hand that brings them comfort. It might be a Bible promise that we share. It might be a listening ear. It might be a text message or an email. It might be a sermon. It might be praying for someone. It might be taking them dinner. It might just be sitting next to them and never saying a word at all. It can look many different ways because God is the God of all comforts, plural. There are many expressions of God's comfort for all kinds of affliction and all kinds of suffering. Look again at verse 6. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. So suffering reminds us that we were not created for independent living. Paul and the Corinthians are suffering because as we've seen over the last two weeks, suffering is the plan. We don't suffer alone. Even though it feels like that when you're suffering, doesn't it? I'm the only one going through this right now. No, everybody is. Just nobody's talking about it, which means we should be talking about it, right? We don't suffer alone. Other Christians suffer with us the same kinds of suffering, and we all pass on God's comfort. Paul knows that his affliction and his suffering is going to lead to God's comfort, which he will then pass on to the Corinthian church. Paul is confident that suffering will not get the last word in his life or the life of this church that he planted. He is confident that God's comfort will get the last word and that this church that he planted will experience God's comfort. Well, here's what suffering does. Suffering comes along in our life and it exposes that we really are weak and we are fragile and that we need other people, that we need community. We need their comfort and they need ours. Suffering reminds us that the Christian life is a community project. It's not a solo exposition. Suffering reminds us that God is intent on exposing our addictions to independence. Think about that. Suffering reminds us that God is intent on exposing our addictions to independence. And suffering reminds us that we need comfort and that God often gives his comfort through other people. Suffering 
is never for nothing. God has purposes when you suffer that are for you and for others. He's working things not just for your good, but for the good of others. And I'm suffering right now because it's really hot in here. Would somebody open those back doors? Anybody else suffering? Let me pass some comfort on to you by way of a breeze. Normally I'm freezing. Today it's hot. I see people fanning and man, I've got sweat on my head. God has a lot up his sleeve when we suffer and we haven't, thank you for opening the doors, we haven't the slightest idea about it right now. What might God have in store for you in the future that might come out of this dark season that you feel trapped in right now? What goodness might Jesus have stored up for you as you go through this season of suffering? If he showed you, it would totally knock your socks off. God has all kinds of purposes for you in your suffering. And one of those purposes is that you emerge softened by it and loving Jesus more. One of his purposes for what you're going through is that your heart would become more softened to him and love him and enjoy him more. Understand this, Grace. Suffering can soften you if you let it. What you're going through right now can actually soften you if you let it. It's easier, listen to this, it's easier to be hardened and angry at God and angry at others while you're suffering. It's harder to be soft. Let me say that again. It's harder to be soft. When we are hardened and angry with God because of the suffering that comes into our lives, either because we deserved it because of poor choices we made or because it just happened, when we are hardened against God, that's manageable, isn't it? We can manage being hardened and angry. We have some control over that. It feels safer than being weak and vulnerable. It's much easier to be hardened. Developing a hardened heart when we suffer is manageable and it's very easy to do. The hard part is remaining soft while you suffer. Soft to the Lord. A soft heart that's full of trust. A heart that's full of questions, yes. Full of lots of questions, but full of trust. A heart that's confused, yes. But a heart that is full of trust. Listen, for every question you have when you suffer, have a footnote that says, trust the Lord. For every why question, have a footnote that says, see Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all his ways, he will make your path straight. I may have butchered that. Every time you have a why question, why Jesus? Why is this happening? Have a footnote that says, See Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. The hard part is to remain soft when you are suffering. It's easier to be angry at the Lord. Suffering can soften you if you let it. It's hard to be soft because you're full of questions that probably won't be answered in this life. In my experience, and I've seen it so many times with people who suffer, and the temptation has been there for me too when I suffer, I have danced with these thoughts as well. In my experience, the unanswered questions are too hard to live with. And people want answers so bad to answer all of their questions that they start 
blaming God. They blame God. And they begin thinking of him as cruel and evil. And that answers their questions. And it hardens their hearts. It answers their question, why am I suffering? Because God is angry at me. Why am I suffering? Because God is evil. Why am I suffering? Because God is just so uptight and he doesn't like people. That answers their questions and then it begins to harden their hearts. And then, I've seen it time and time again, they begin to drift from the church family and they're all alone in their bitterness, their anger, and their suffering. No comfort can come to them because their heart is hardened. They have answers which we all want, but their answers have accused God, blamed God, and in the process, calcified their hearts. Listen, you can have a biblical theology of suffering, and that's what we've been doing. It's why we're going slow through the first 11 verses of 2 Corinthians, is we're trying to develop a biblical theology of suffering. You can have a biblical theology of suffering and have all kinds of questions and still have a soft heart that trusts God and is willing to wait on Him and does not blame Him. You can be confused as to why things turned out the way they did without being bitter and angry at others and angry at God. And you can still have a soft heart that is weak and broken and hurting, but still trust in your God. Listen, just because your heart hurts does not mean that you don't trust God. Just because your heart hurts doesn't mean that you don't trust God. It might mean that you do trust God because your heart is still soft. And you keep going to him with your pain and you keep going to him with your broken heart because you know and you believe and you trust that he really cares despite what your circumstances and suffering are trying to tell you. Don't let your suffering sour your view of God. Don't let your pain paint your picture of God. In my own personal experience, and having read so many stories of so many Christians, pastors, missionaries, Sunday school teachers, suffering can be a path to sweet communion with God. It's one of the paradoxes of the Christian faith. Suffering can be a path to sweet communion with Jesus. Some people get bitter, though, like Naomi in the book of Ruth. Some people teeter-totter back and forth. But whatever your experience, don't give up. Keep seeking Jesus in your suffering. There is a temptation to believe that when we suffer, we've been neglected by God, like Naomi felt. The Corinthians were saying this of Paul because of what they were hearing from the super apostles. He must have been abandoned by God because he's suffering all the time. And so Paul writes to this church that he planted to let them know that he has not been neglected, not forgotten, not abandoned, but rather he has been comforted by God. Here's one of the amazing things about Jesus. He is able to take all of the horrible things that we suffer and use them for other people. He can use them to actually produce good things in other people too, not just us. As Paul says, if we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. Jesus is able to equip us so that we can minister to others. As Paul Tripp says, every sufferer needs to know that the comfort of community is a two-way street. 
Not only do you need the comfort of God's people, but your suffering positions you to be a uniquely sympathetic and insightful tool of the same in the lives of others. Your suffering has given you a toolbox of gospel skills that make you ready and equipped to answer God's call to be an agent of his comfort in the lives of fellow sufferers. God calls you not to hoard your suffering, but to offer it up to him to be used as needed in the lives of others. And there's blessing in taking your eyes off of yourself and placing them on others because it really is more blessed to give than to receive. In other words, Paul Tripp is saying that suffering is never for nothing. And suffering is never just for you. Paul says that his suffering is for the Corinthians' comfort and salvation. What he means by the word salvation there is that they will experience spiritual safety and health and joy in this renewed experience of God's grace. Paul's suffering would benefit them too. This salvation, this spiritual safety, health, and joy would come to them because Paul will tell us in verse 15, and we'll see it months from now, probably, that he's wanting them to experience, have a second experience of God's grace when he visits. So this is part of the salvation that he's talking about, that they would be renewed in their experience of God's grace. And so in the mystery of his ways, God has purposes in your suffering that are for other people. Wow. Who is this God we serve who can take suffering and bring good to others out of it? He's the God of all comforts. That's who. And he can take everything that you suffer and position you to be a uniquely sympathetic and insightful tool in the lives of others. As you suffer, Jesus is giving you a toolbox of gospel skills that have equipped you to be an agent of his comfort in the lives of other people. So don't forget that even when your heart is breaking. And it takes faith and trust to suffer like this, doesn't it? And the world doesn't understand it. But we live by faith and not by sight. We don't know and we can't know all that God is doing and all that he purposes through what we suffer. We don't know what God has up his sleeve, but we do know this. God is good, and what we suffer is never for nothing. In his infinite wisdom, he can and does and will bring good out of it. No suffering that we experience will ever be wasted. God has purposes and designs and plans up his sleeve, and we'll never know some of them in this life, but one day we will. One day, this is how I like to picture it. One day, Jesus is going to roll out these blueprints. He's going to say, hey, come here. Let me show you. Remember what was happening in 2020, in June of 2020, when all that stuff was going on in your life, and you were just at a loss, and you just wanted to quit and give up? Let me show you how I was working to bring good into your life and glory to my name. And let me show you how everything you went through brought my comfort to all these people. And you'll be like, oh. he's going to show us one day. And you'll look at him and say, wow, what I suffered was not for nothing. Look at all you did through that mess, Jesus. And then you'll just stand there and your mouth will be agape. And you will marvel at the infinite wisdom and the tender heart of God that was orchestrating all of it. And then you'll say, Jesus, can I have those blueprints and hang them up on my living room wall? And he'll let you. Sam Albury tells the story of one of his friends whose baby boy was born with spina bifida. 
So there were numerous, numerous sufferings that this little boy had to go through in the first years of his life. And before one of the surgeries, the dad was told, you're not going to be able to feed him for 24 hours before the surgery. So he's holding his baby boy in his arms, and his baby boy is just screaming at the top of his lungs for hours on end because he's hungry. He doesn't understand the pain. Why won't they feed me? And he's telling his little boy, who's kicking and screaming, he's telling him, I promise there's a really good reason for this. And then it hit the dad. This must be what it's like when God deals with us. As we go through suffering, our Heavenly Father is saying to us, as we are screaming at the top of our lungs because of the pain, He says, I promise there's a really good reason for this. This experience is not purposeless. It's not meaningless. It's not a waste of time. How many times in my life have I been like a baby, a colicky baby, screaming and yelling about what is going on in my life? How many times have I just thrown temper tantrum after temper tantrum after temper tantrum because God was not doing what I asked him to do? Too many times to count. That's for sure. And what about you? Haven't you had seasons of your life where you were like a colicky baby, screaming at the top of your lungs, wondering why there's so much pain and suffering, wondering why there's no relief, wondering why God was not giving you what you wanted, wondering why he wasn't answering your prayers the way you wanted him to answer your prayers? Listen, this is it's a perfect picture of what we're like. And this is what it's like for God. He's got a bunch of colicky babies he's having to deal with. But he holds us in his arms as we kick and scream and cry and say, we don't understand. Just give me relief. And he holds us in his arms and he whispers to us, you can trust me. This isn't meaningless. I have purposes for others and you in this. Just calm down. Shh, shh, shh. Rely on me. Rest. Trust. He holds us as we kick and scream, and he comforts us. We have six kids, you all probably know that, and with each one, as they kicked and screamed and cried and were colicky, there were times where I was so frustrated and irritated and angry. You've been there, right, parent? Just wanting them to stop crying. They're like six months old, and they're just crying nonstop, and they're not stopping. You're just, you're just, every parent is like, I love this child, but oof. And every parent here knows what I'm talking about. Driving in the van, they're strapped into their car seat for six hours. They're kicking and screaming nonstop. We've all been there, frustrated, irritated, angry. But God is not angry, nor does he lose his cool when his baby children are kicking and screaming in their car seats, when he's got us on a long road trip and we don't understand where we're going and what's going on. All we know is we don't like being strapped in. Let me out and we kick and scream and God does not get angry. He doesn't lose his cool. He's calm as he calms us. He rocks us in his rocking chair and he sings over us. As the prophet Zephaniah says, the Lord your God is in your midst, a mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That's what God is doing with you today, Christian. He knows your struggles. He knows your sins. That's why he sent his son Jesus to live and die and be raised for you. 
because of your sins. And you can have confidence because of what Jesus has done for you. We do not look into the future and fear judgment from God. We look to the past and we see Jesus dying in our place and we rejoice. And now we look forward with, like John says, with confidence. Standing before him on judgment day with confidence. Perfect, righteous, forgiven. And on that day, God is not going to bring up your sin. As Martin Luther said, only the devil brings up forgiven sin can stand before the Lord with confidence one day because of Jesus. Not because of you, but because of Jesus. He rejoices over you today with gladness, even though you're kicking and screaming. He quiets you today with his love, and he gave us this meal to celebrate what his son Jesus has done for us. So as you eat and drink the Lord's Supper today, let him quiet you with his love. Hear him this morning singing loudly over you. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are humbled by your word because when we suffer, many times we don't have Paul's perspective here of thinking about other people and how it will comfort them. We are just self-absorbed and we kick and scream and cry and we throw temper tantrums. And the amazing thing is that you forgive us and when you see us, you don't see us as little kids having temper tantrums. You see us clothed in the righteousness of your son. You see your son when you look at us. It's amazing. You are amazing. And you've given us this meal to comfort our hearts and to give us confidence today even that we can stand in your presence. And so, Father, let us use the time between eating and drinking to repent to confess our sins. Lord, we ask you to forgive us. Forgive us for not trusting you. Forgive us for kicking and screaming and crying and throwing pity parties because of what's happening in our lives. Make us a church who trusts you. Make us a church who anticipates that you have good things, treasures stored up for us that you're going to... Uh, just roll out into our lives. God, make us a church that believes you have blueprints that you'll show us one day of all that you're doing. Help us to quit being so self-absorbed. Help us to turn our eyes upon your son as we do right now. Forgive us and thank you for Jesus. Holy Spirit, comfort our hearts even now. In Jesus' name, amen.